Good morning again. Um, welcome to uh, Wildwood Christian Church. And if uh, you're guests with us, thank you for coming. If you're a regular part of our church, we appreciate you so very much as well. Um, so our Christmas Eve services are coming in uh, just a little over two weeks, um, and so you're invited. We want you to be a part of it. We have three services at 2.30, at 4, and at 5.30. We have candle lighting at all three of those services, and so we want you to be a part of it. As well, we invite you or ask you to grab one or two of the cards so in the in front of you, unless the person who set their last service took all of them, which is okay. Um, there's more out in the foyer. We want to ask you to invite a couple of people to come with you to Christmas Eve, specifically people who don't have a church home, who just really need some encouragement, maybe somebody you work with, somebody in your family, um, maybe it's somebody in your neighborhood, and so we encourage you to do that, invite somebody to come with you. And yes, Christmas is getting close, right? It's coming our way. It is the most wonderful time of the year, but why is it that Christmas seems to to be one of the most stressful and exhausting times of the year, right? It's like we, we look forward to it and we enjoy it, but then there's all the other things that happen, and it's almost like circumstances conspire against us to really be able to enjoy the holiday season. It's just so crazy. Maybe it's just a mountain of work at a uh, mountain load of work at work that you got to get done before you can go home for the holidays or maybe it's a major project that you have at school or it's all that wonderful shopping and all those other wonderful shoppers that you get to hang around with or maybe it's the thought that you get to spend Christmas with that family member that you really can't stand and it's just full to you it just becomes so difficult for us so that's why we're doing this series called carols we're just taking a look at some pretty familiar Christmas carols, using the words as we sing them and as we just kind of spend time with them to encourage us and really to help us stop and take a moment and remember what Christmas is really all about. And as we get closer and closer to Christmas, that our minds and our hearts can be better prepared to really honor Jesus Christ. So last week was the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So what does the word Emmanuel mean? God with us. Very good. God with us. And Jesus being born to this earth was literally God coming to this earth. And because Jesus Christ came to this earth, everything changes for you and I. So today is the carol, O Holy Night. It's one of those old carols. It's actually it's been around since the mid-1800s. In the mid-1800s, um, there was a, a local priest, a parish priest, who asked a friend of his to write a poem for their Christmas Eve candlelight services. It just happened to be, though, his friend, who was a great poet, really wasn't much of a churchgoer. In fact, he was pretty far from God. So the friend decided, okay, I'll do that. So the parish priest asked him, write a poem about Luke chapter 2. And, the, and the, his friend liked his poem so much that he invited another friend of his who wasn't a believer in Jesus Christ. He was Jewish. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He invited this friend, who was a good musician, to write some music behind it, and it became such a popular song that in France, I mean, they sang it for years and years until the church discovered that it was written by two unbelievers, and so they banned the song from being sung, at least in services. But there, within a few years, an American musician named John Solomon Delight, uh, Dwight translated O Holy Night into English, and it found its way into the hearts of us in America. And so I'm going to read the story from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. 
Um, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles there to Luke chapter 2, your phone or your tablet. There's Bibles in the seat uh, in front of you. I want to read about that holy night, then I'll pray for us, and then we'll listen as the song is sung for us. Luke chapter 2, I want to invite you, if you would, stand with me. I'll read it out loud. You follow along in your uh, Bible or look up on the screen. This is Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this time that we get to be able to focus on what you did for us so many years ago. And Lord, as we uh, study your word together, um, open our hearts and our minds that we would receive the truth of your word. Um, Lord, help us to recognize that the coming of this baby Jesus changes everything and it brings us a hope that nothing else can bring. And so, Lord, we worship you together. In your most precious name we pray, amen.
So it was a holy night um, because Jesus Christ was born. Um, and because Jesus Christ was born, I mean, it literally, it changes everything for you and for me. I mean, it, it, it changes our past, it changes our present, it changes our first future, and it brings the hope that you and I need in our hearts and our lives. So we look back at that night and we say, okay, it's a holy night, Right. But to those who were, you know, specifically involved in that, Mary and Joseph, it being a holy night was probably the last thing on their minds, right? Because Mary and Joseph, they got to travel from Nazareth, which is way up north, all the way down to Jerusalem. And so what is the picture that you might have of what's taking place when Jesus Christ is born? I mean, what, what comes to your mind? I mean, we imagine what it might be like, but... I think what we imagine gets a little bit messed up by certain things that, you know, we've seen through the years. So how many of you uh, have some kind of a nativity scene in your house or outside of your house? How many of you have that? We've got like 20 of them, but most of them are for kids, right, so that our grandkids can play with them everything. We took a walk the other day, uh, I guess just yesterday, and... One of our neighbors had this really nice kind of ornate nativity scene right in the midst of things. So a couple years ago, I came across this picture. This is called the hipster's nativity scene. Anybody have that in your house there, right? So this is a little bit more of a traditional picture of the nativity, right? This is kind of the picture of what we think of happened on the night that Jesus Christ was born, right? It's calm, it's peaceful. I'm not sure who that little girl is over there or a little boy, whichever it is, on the side, but somebody put them in there. But this is our picture, right? All is calm and all is bright. But think, think about this for a moment. It was a teenage girl and her teenage fiancé that made the trek all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. She's nine months pregnant, right? It's like 80 to 120 miles as they're making this journey. And once they finally make this long journey that probably took multiple days, they finally arrive there, and it's time for the birth to happen. So when Patty and I, when we had our first child, Kelly was born, um, Patty was several months pregnant, and we had what was called Lamaze classes, right? So it's natural childbirth. Now, I need you to know I didn't force my wife into doing something like this. This was her call. She wanted to have no painkillers during the midst of it. So we go through this training, and I don't know, it's probably, I, I would guess she's seven months pregnant, and they have the film. Not, not a video, but it's a film back then there of an actual birth of a mother who's, you know, doing the natural Lamaze childbirth things. There, it, would, it, it showed everything. I, I thought I was going to pass out. There was so much blood. I thought, I don't know if I can do this. This is way too hard for me. 
But anyway, so we watched the film. There was a lot of screaming. There was, a, you know, all kinds of stuff. So we go out into the parking lot, and Patty has this panicked look on her face. And she's like, I, I don't want to do this. And I said, what, Lamas? She said, no, have a baby. <laughs> it's like, it's a little bit late, right? It's a little late by this point. And so here's Mary and Joseph. I mean, she is, as the King James says, she is great with child, right? And so they arrive there um, but they make this journey on the donkey. And so when, when our first child was born, we lived in Eldorado Springs back at the time, we, we didn't take a donkey, we drove the Ford Pinto, but it was only an hour, right? I mean, they go, this is like several days that it takes them to get there. So can you imagine those of you women who've been pregnant riding on the back of a donkey when you're nine months pregnant trying to go through this, and then you get there, and what happens? There's no room. You know, it says in the story, you know, it says no guest room available for them. Maybe it was the picture that their family rejected them. It was just probably full because, you know, the census was going on there in Bethlehem. But there's no room for them. And so they go to what most scholars say, you know, we think of a stable, you know, that kind of a picture. But most scholars say it was probably either um, a room underneath the house and so the animals were kept there so they could be warm and safe, and some of that warmth would come up to the house and other smells too. But anyway, it could be that, but most scholars tend to think it was probably a cave, you know, close by there. And so they had the baby in a cave with all of these other animals around. In other words, she's giving birth in the worst possible environment. Nothing is sterile there, right? There is no epidural. Okay, so again, we're trying to picture what actually took place on that night. And so if you can imagine a teenage girl giving birth for the very first time, my guess is there was a lot of screaming happening. There was a lot of crying. And then poor Joseph. I mean, he, he's like, oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this situation, right? And it is crazy in that cave. That's actually what would have happened on that night. There's no calm and peaceful about people who are inexperienced giving birth. And so when we think about that story, to me, it helps to picture that Jesus Christ came into this world in the midst of just a lot of chaos and craziness. But in that song, O Holy Night, there's a great phrase that I love. So it says this, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. That phrase, the weary world. Say weary world with me. Weary world. You guys said that like you're feeling a little bit weary, right? Weary world. But it's interesting because it says this weary world rejoices. But if there were ever two words that would describe our world right now, it would be that, that it is weary. You know, it's, it, it's overwhelming at times. Some of you have such anxiety at times. You know, what's going on in the economy or maybe what's happening in your families. You've just moved into a brand new place and you don't know anyone. Or you're just feeling very isolated for other people. Maybe you're dealing with a lot of sickness right now. It's, it's almost like that there are people around us that are just fighting to keep their heads above the water. And I think so many people can relate to this phrase, weary world. And I love that this song says, the weary world rejoices because there's this thrill of hope. A hope. So for a Jew, the hope would have been that maybe this baby would be the Messiah, the one that would come. And on that day, everything would be different because he's come and he has changed everything. So my prayer for you 
is that God would bring into your life, if there is any kind of weariness in the world that you're experiencing right now, that God would bring that thrill of hope. That God would bring you to a place of rejoicing. And the reason is, is because in the midst of whatever chaos you're facing, there's always this new morning, this new and glorious morning. And my hope is as we move closer and closer towards the day that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, that we would, in the midst of the chaos, because you really can't do away with that, right? That we would be able to stop and see the hope that comes because of a faith in God that can make all the difference in our mourning. And, and here's why we can do that. Because a day with Christ can change literally everything. When we truly know and understand who this baby is and what he came to do and accomplish, we would see that, that not just the birth that night, but that there's this morning coming because of what Jesus Christ can do in our hearts and our lives. I love the way the psalmist said in Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. So I want to take a couple of moments, and I want to help focus our hearts on the hope that comes because of Jesus Christ. And I want to do that by inviting you to turn in the Old Testament to the book of Lamentations. Yeah, there really is a book called Lamentations. And Lamentations chapter 3, it is a book of laments, as the title of that describes. I really want to encourage you to turn to that so you can read through that as we study that together for a couple of moments. Now, the context of Lamentations it's probably around 586 B.C., and the nation of Israel, specifically Jerusalem, has been devastated. It is led off into captivity. Jerusalem has fallen, and the people are distraught because they had turned their back on God again and again and again and again, though he warned them again and again. And over hundreds of years, God's patience was with them, but finally it was at an end. And so the prophet Jeremiah, though he's the one writing, he's, he's writing really on behalf of all of these people, how they're feeling and what they're thinking. And in a sense, he's whining. I mean, he's, as you read through this, there's just a whole lot of whining that he's doing. He's hurting along with everyone else. And so what he's doing, as we talked about at the very beginning of the service, he is pouring out his heart to God. And that's okay to do. Do you know it's all right to whine at God and to grumble and complain at God and to tell him what's going on in your life? That's what Jeremiah does there. But then right in the midst of the book of Lamentations in chapter 3, it's like Jeremiah... It's like there's this just sudden stop, this switch where he moves from all this mourning to a moment of great faith. So I'm going to start reading Lamentations chapter 3, verse 20. So Jeremiah begins, I well remember then, and my soul is, now say this out loud with me, downcast within me. I well remember them. In other words, I re well remember all the stuff that's happened in, in our lives, that we've been led off into captivity, that it seems like God has turned his back on me. In fact, one commentator describes the book of Lamentations as Jeremiah's writing it, like Jeremiah feels like God has just taken his fist and just hit him full in the face with all the stuff that is happening to him. 
And what Jeremiah is doing there, he says, I well remember them. In other words, I'm not pretending like life is okay. You know, there's some people like that. Their life is awful, and they, they just say, oh, no, everything's great, everything's fine. It's not like he's got his fingers in his ears and his eyes closing, going, la, 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 just trying to pretend like life is bad. He is acknowledging here that this is a significant, life-altering difficulty that they're in the midst of. But he goes on in verse 21, he says this, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have, what? hope. Therefore, I have hope. And I love that phrase, yet, yet this I call to mind. It's the picture that he knows this truth. It's like in the back of his brain. He knows it to be true, but it's so far back in his brain, it's covered up by all the other stuff that's going on that he doesn't remember. it. But he chooses, he makes this conscious decision that I'm going to bring it from the back of my brain to the front of my brain. I'm going to bring it to mind. I'm going to remember this truth that I will have hope when no one else does because I know that this is true. I call it to mind. And because I call it to mind, I have hope. And so what does he choose to bring to the forefront of his mind? Verse 22, because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed, for his compassions never fail. And he states about God's compassion, verse 23, that they are new every morning. And then it's like he talks straight to God and he looks up and he says, great is your faithfulness. It's like he's just praying right to God, great is your faithfulness. In fact, I want you to say that out loud with me. Great is your faithfulness. Say it again. Great is your faithfulness. Now take a moment and close your eyes and imagine looking up and looking at the throne where God is and say it to him, great is your faithfulness. And then he goes on, verse 24, I say this to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's amazing what a new day with Christ being born and Christ coming into this world, how it can bring this hope. And so there's three things that I want to encourage you with. Number one, a new day with Christ brings you exactly what you need. So a new day with Christ, because this baby is born, it brings you exactly what you need. I didn't say exactly what you want, right? There's a big difference between what we want and what we need, but what he says here is, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Don't you have those days where it's almost like you got to preach to yourself and convince yourself and just say it over and over again that this is what is true, this is what is right, this is what is good, to remind ourselves of the truth that the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. So what does it mean when it uses that phrase, the Lord is my portion? Now, it can mean a lot of different things, but most scholars tend to think that what he's referring to is a time in the history of Israel when they have just come out of captivity of Egypt. They're being led by Moses. 
They're wandering in the wilderness on their way to the promised land, and they're hungry. And so they cry out to God, and what does God provide for them? Every morning, God provides manna, which is a food for them to eat. And the instructions are, when you wake up in the morning, it'll be there. And you're to go out and gather enough just for that day. And if you hoarded it, you know, if you got a little bit greedy and you kept enough for the next day, what would happen to all that food you kept? Well, it would get gross and it would have maggots and it would be disgusting. It was almost as if what God were trying to do was make them realize that they need him every single day. And then Jesus kind of drives this home. When he's doing his own teaching, he's talking to us about the Lord's Prayer, and he says, give us today our daily bread. Like again, Jesus is trying to reiterate to us this understanding that you and I, we need God every single day. Every single day we need God. And so this I call to mind, and I say to myself, the Lord is my portion there." For I will wait. He's exactly what I need. And do you know, the good news is this. When you wake up in the morning, God's already been there. God already knows what your need is, even before you wake up, because that's how faithful our God is. And so if you're weak today, you wake up tomorrow morning, God is already there. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Or if you wake up in the morning and you're feeling discouraged or you're feeling despair about something in your life, God's already there and he is bringing joy and he is the lifter of our head. If you failed in you know, overcoming that sin or that addiction yet again and you're struggling and you're just weary, of tire, uh, weary and tired of just struggling after, when you wake up in the morning, God's already there. He already says there's now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. So a new day with Christ brings us exactly what we need. And what we need is the presence of God, his strength and his power and his endurance, his reality, his goodness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Number two, a new day with Christ brings us the hope to keep us going. It brings us hope to, to keep us going. So the, the words of the song says, the thrill of hope that keeps us going in the midst of a weary world. It's the thrill of hope because in the night, dark, right? We can't see what's going on in the morning, but it's hope because we have put our trust in the, in the God who's already there in the daylight. He's the one who will bring that into our lives and into our mind. It's the belief that a new morning is coming in the middle of the chaos of this night. And so he says in verse 25, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in God. So I heard several years ago, somebody said that we as humans, we can live 40 days or so without food. We can live eight days or so without water. We can live four minutes or so without oxygen. But we can only live a few seconds without hope. I think there's so many people in our world who are trying to survive with a very hope-deprived outlook. They're struggling to find Places to put their hope and their trust, and the problem is they're putting their hope in the wrong places. And all of us have experienced that at some time or another, right? 
We put our hope in our company and our company lets us down. We put our hope in the stock market and that's really good. Put our hope in politicians, that's a lost cause. We put our hope in other people, even people we love, and they let us down. We put our hope in some kind of an outcome that we need. You know, God, this is exactly how I need you to bring this about, and it doesn't happen. It doesn't come about. It's not the way we thought it should happen. And the reason we become so disheartened is because we're putting our hope in the wrong place. And we put our hope in the wrong place, we end up hopeless. We end up just in the same kind of cycle over and over again, and we become this weary world that wonders where anything good is because our hope is in the wrong place. So I love what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10.23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. We need to hold on to this hope that we profess. And I think the challenge for many of us today is we're holding on to the wrong things. Rather than holding on to this hope that we profess, we're grabbing on to the fear and the anxiety, the stress, and the, I don't know what's going to happen. We, we just keep letting that be in the forefront of our minds. We're letting go of the truth of God, and we're hanging on to the lies of the evil one, that we're not good enough, that we're not enough, that you know God will never provide and take care of us. And what we need to do is hold on to the exact opposite. We need to let go of the fear, and we need to put our trust in God. We need to hold on to the promises of God and not let go of those. We hold on to that which we profess. We hold on unswervingly. Yeah, the world is weary. And yes, the reality is some of us face a lot of difficulties in our life, but in the midst of that, we hold on to this hope, the promises of God that are real and are sure and they're true. And a new day with Christ can bring us exactly what it is we need. And number three, a new day with Christ brings the help that you're seeking. It brings the help that you're seeking. He says in verse 26, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. To wait quietly. For the salvation of the Lord. Sometimes we just need to wait quietly. You know, for some of us, we need the salvation of our souls. We, we need to accept the gift of salvation that Jesus has given to us on the cross. We've thought about it. You know, it's, it's, it's something that we've considered. But for some of us, that's the decision we need to make, that we need to Say, God, I, I need you, and stand before a group of people and confess our faith and our trust that we put in Jesus Christ to, to be buried in a watery grave of baptism. But some of you, you've already been born into the family of God, and maybe for you, you need to be saved out of a difficult situation. You can't fathom the difference that one day with Jesus Christ can make. Just ask Lazarus in the New Testament. Lazarus had been dead four days. The Bible describes him as smelly dead, at least his sister dead, when Jesus wanted to open the tomb up. I mean, he was dead four days, and they had absolutely no hope until Jesus shows up, and Jesus says, Lazarus, come out of there. And Lazarus would say, there's a huge difference that one day makes when Jesus Christ shows up. Or what about the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years? Can you imagine bleeding for 12 years? The pain, the embarrassment, the humiliation, the suffering. She had spent everything she had trying to get herself cured, nothing. And then one day, Jesus comes walking down the road. 
And she walks up to him and she thinks, if I just touch the hem of his cloak, I'll be healed. And you ask her the difference that one day makes with Jesus Christ. Where one man in Scripture, for 38 years since the day he was born, he never could walk. He laid by this pool of Bethesda, you know, just a terrible place because he was surrounded with a bunch of other sick people. And he had just given up hope. And then one day Jesus walks through and asks him, do you want to get healed? Do you want to be well? And he says to the man, get up, take your mat, and walk. And he would tell you it's amazing that one day, the difference one day with Jesus Christ can make. And some of us need to hear that. Because some of you are living in a very weary world. You're just about ready to give up because you've tried numerous kinds of things in your life and you just feel exhausted but with Jesus Christ there's this thrill of hope that will make your weary world rejoice you know whether it's your marriage whether it's physical sickness that you have or somebody in your family has you know you may feel like you're in the midst of the chaotic night and that teenage girl is screaming her head off cuz that baby's about to come and there's no epidural and she is hurting but in all of a sudden in the midst of that weary night right that weary world what happens Jesus is born he shows up and for you and for me with this weariness that we face in our life It's like Jesus Christ is the one that can bring hope because a new day with Christ brings exactly what we need. It may not be what you want. It may not be the plan that you have in mind. In fact, it may be the worst case scenario that you could ever fathom in your mind. And yet if Jesus Christ says that's what we need, it will be the thing that will make the difference in a new day with Christ. It gives us the hope to keep on going A new day with Christ can bring you the help that you're seeking.
Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions, they never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So I wonder what it is you need to remember today. What is it that you need to call to your mind? It's there. Maybe it's in the back of your mind and you've kind of suppressed it or you've pushed it back. What is it that you need to remember today? What is making your soul weary and downcast? It's time to call into our mind that God is faithful, that his love and his compassion and his mercy for you and I, it never, ever runs out. It is never depleted for you and I. Great is God's faithfulness. Because of Jesus, one day can make such a difference in our life. So from this lament by Jeremiah comes one of the most um, beloved hymns, old songs of the church. Great is thy faithfulness. And in a moment after I pray, we're going to sing that together. And as we sing it, I really want to invite you to consider the words of that song and what they mean to you in the specific place in your life where you need God, where you're feeling just worn out and you have absolutely no hope. Let God be the one to bring hope into your mind. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your love and your mercy, the grace that you so freely share with us. Lord, we need you. Um, We need to be bringing to our minds that your mercies never end, that your compassion for us, Father, it never runs out. And I pray that over the next few moments you will fill our minds with the understanding of your great faithfulness to us. Even when we are faithless, Father, you fill us up with your love and your mercy. Draw us closer to you, Lord, as we worship you. In your name we pray, amen.